Thanks for listening to the Life Church Boise weekly podcast. We hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Mark Bohr. For any other messages or other resources, please visit us at lcboise.com. Got your Bible with you today. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Got your iPads, your Bible apps, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to continue today with a series we've been in for the last uh, number of weeks now called The Devil's Trap. Are you ready for this? Anybody come expecting? Come on now, keep your faith at work uh, as, we, as we go, and you'll see that God will reveal tremendous things to you um, today. And uh, I get revelation sometimes as I'm speaking, meaning I studied, I prayed ahead of time, but while we're talking, it happened this morning already. Uh, but while we're talking, the Lord will show me and reveal things to us. And in part, that's because people are engaged in their faith in, in believing for heaven to reveal things to us. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, this has been our text. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And that's the phrase right there, nor give place to the devil. The Amplified Bible reads, Leave no such room or foothold for the devil. Give no opportunity to him. Okay, the ERV reads, Don't give the devil a way to defeat you. And so we've been uh, focusing in on this, not only the fact that the devil wants to defeat us, he wants to, as other scriptures say, devour us, kill uh, kill, steal, and destroy. He, he wants to wreak havoc in individuals' lives. But we also see that whether he's allowed to do that or not is up to us. All right? We can have the appropriate measures in place to where he does not have access to uh, mess us up and to gain access to our lives. And so we are told to not give place to the devil. Amen. Has anybody left their house and left the, the door open before? Came home and found some things in the house that weren't supposed to be there? Or maybe you thought, has an animal been in here? <laughs> Something's not right here. Uh, well, you've got to close the doors, don't you? I mean, if you have a garage door, you know, electric garage door, you know, they have those sensors down at the bottom usually, and uh, that way, if you're walking through, it doesn't keep coming down on you and crush you. Uh, but have you, have you ever had this happen where, you know, you pulled out of your garage and you clicked and, and it started going down and you drove away and when you got home the garage was open? Well, what happened? Either your sensors were off or maybe the cat ran through. Something happened and you left and your door was open. Well, that's not good, is it? I mean, because what, what's the deal? Well, your home is vulnerable at that point. I mean, animals can go in there, people could go in there, stray children could walk in, you know, watch your TV and stuff. <laughs> uh, but whatever, you know, things can happen in your home if you don't close the door. And so whenever you leave home, make sure to close the doors. Is that good advice? Yeah. Well, whenever you go anywhere, make sure and close the door. To the devil. Because I'm telling you, that is the way that he works. He's looking for individuals who leave access to him. They leave parts of their life wide open. 
They don't shore, shore them up. They don't keep them secure. They don't close them off to his, his desire to access and bring destruction. And so why would you go anywhere? Like Why would you go into a marriage without closing the door? Why would you go on a trip without closing the door? What, you know what I'm saying? Why would you go through any part of your life without making sure you keep the door closed before you go? And so, knowing this, you know, can come in, uh, can save us a whole lot of whole lot of trouble. Uh, remember, uh, we've been sharing with you the last couple weeks, focusing on the, the 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 teachings of Jesus, where he said, "Judge not, lest you be judged." And found out that many people fall for that bait, and they get trapped by the devil because they they're they're critical, they're they're condemning, they're judging other individuals, and uh, you know. I want to move along along from that, but again, be mindful of it. Constantly, we're tempted to judge people based on externals. Individuals are judged uh, because of how they look. And people, I don't mean they're just judging their look, they're judging their heart, they're judging their character, judging the kind of person they are. Someone's overweight and people judge that. You know, an individual, it, pe- uh, people get judged by what they drive. And people make character judgments. They're judged by, uh, you know, what they live in, by how they dress, and and different things that we should just kind of stay away from. We should stay out of that judgment category, assuming that we know what kind of person they are. Because hey, look at this. But the what we, the look at this or what we see is only part of their life. Is only one aspect, and so we're not we're not allowed to do that. We're, we're not supposed to do that. I remember a guy uh, years ago, he would, uh, he was very skinny, thin. He would often uh, joust and poke fun at people he knew who were overweight. And, uh, you know, a lot of it, I think, in his mind, he was probably joking. But people didn't always take it that way. And, uh, you know, and, and, but he would, he would, you know, make fun of individuals that, that were overweight. And I thought, hmm, that's not safe to do that. I mean, I'm just telling you what I was thinking at the time uh, of him doing that. I thought, that's not a safe way to live. Well, what do I mean safe? Well, here's what I mean because it played out a number of years later when I saw him after not seeing him for a very long time. He looked like those people he was making fun of. He did. What happened there? Well, exactly what happened is he judged and then he was. What do you mean he was? He no longer had the grace to have control in that area of his life. And if you ever see someone doing something wrong or doing something that you don't like, you stay out of it because you value God's grace in your own life enabling you to have victory. But if I am overly harsh with someone, even if it's something that's really wrong or sinful, if I'm harsh with someone else in an area, I'm very likely going to trip up in that area somewhere down the road. But if I'll show mercy to them, what happens to me? I get mercy. That means when I'm tempted, when I'm going through life, dealing with struggles, whatever, I get mercy. In other words, time, strength, forgiveness. I get God's ability working for me, not against me. Huh? James chapter 2 and verse 3, very powerful. Look what it says. For judgment is without mercy 
to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. See, when I'm analyzed, when I'm judged, I want mercy. But I don't get it if I don't show any mercy. Look for an opportunity. In individuals' lives who are making mistakes or struggling, who are, have issues in certain areas, to be so very kind to them, to be merciful to them, to pray for them. When you think of someone, you think, man, you're tempted to think, ah, I can't believe they do that. Man, why are they doing this? Take that time and say, Lord, strengthen them. Lord, have mercy on them. Lord, enable them and strengthen them to stand in this area. And watch what happens when temptation comes your way. Here you go. You'll be propped up. You'll be strengthened. You'll be lifted up. Amen. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And so there's some good things we want to sow here, right? So that we can, down the road, we can reap those very things. Now, one of the greatest gifts we have ever been given in life is the forgiveness of sins. I mean, just such an outstanding and amazing gift of God that we could literally have made, we've, we've sinned, we've broken God's standard of righteousness, we've treated other people wrong, and yet we get off the hook for it. I mean, zero repercussion. I mean, we are literally forgiven for all eternity for things that we have done wrong. He removes all sin, guilt, and shame. Is anybody thankful for that gift? Come on. I mean, if you ever forget about what you should praise God for, think, I just don't know what to say. I, 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 I know I'm supposed to pray, but I don't know what to say. How about thank you, thank you, thank you for an hour <laughs> that I am forgiven and washed clean and I am forever sanctified by the blood of Jesus. Yeah. Jeremiah 31, 34. For I will forgive their iniquity. And their sin I will remember no more. Isn't that good? Come on, that's a shouting verse. Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. I mean, this is good stuff. And this is reality. Thank God for his forgiveness. But not only should we recognize this great gift and this great blessing that has been extended to us without earning it, without deserving it, we should also realize that because of that great gift, this also poses the opportunity to do one of the greatest ills, one of the greatest evils of life. And you know what that is? It is called, when I have been forgiven much that I do not extend that forgiveness to those who have harmed me. That is one of the worst things a person can do. And you know what it also does? It is a trap. It is the bait that lures people into the devil's trap to where he can get access. If I have been granted clemency, forgiveness, remission of sins, and yet I do not offer that same remission, that same forgiveness to others, I have just left the garage door open, and I went on a two-week vacation, and all kinds of nonsense is going to happen in my home while I'm gone, 
Hmm? And I want you to look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And I want to continue to, to show you how these things work in the realm of the Spirit as well as the practical application in our own day-to-day. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 deals with a problem they were having in the church at Corinth. And Paul states here and in, 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 in writes, beginning in verse 1, he said, It is actually reported. So, you know when you use the word actually? That's different than just saying it's reported. It's like, holy smokes. <laughs> Can you believe this? It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. I'm glad there's no problem with that in the church today. That everyone recognizes God's standards, that husband and wife, that's the only place sex happens. That's the only place it happens these days, right? If you're a believer, that's the way it goes. Just remember God's ways. In the world, people have sex with everything that moves. And don't you touch it with a 10-foot pole, otherwise you're somehow evil. Did I say that in a bad way? I see cringing. <laughs> but in the, how many know when you give your life to the Lord, you value His ways? You value His standards. And you, you don't have to be judgmental of everyone, but you say, hey, this is the way I'm going to live. All right, this is the God's standard of righteousness. He said it's actually reported there's sexual immorality among you, and such sex, sexual immorality as, not, as is not even named among the Gentiles. Gentiles being the un- unbelievers. He said, they're not even doing this, and yet you've, you've got this going on in your own church. What was it? He said that a man has his father's wife. In other words, we would, we would call that his stepmom. So this guy's sleeping with his stepmom. He said, man, this is actually happening among you? He's saying, this is bad stuff. Look, verse 2, and you are puffed up and have not mourned. In other words, they're in pride about this. They feel pretty good about it. Yeah, we got this guy in our church, and and he's sleeping with his mother-in-law. Why would you be proud of that? Why would you be puffed up? Maybe it's your superior revelation of grace. And you're telling people, hey, yeah, yeah, we don't cast any, we don't have any kind of anything around anybody. People do whatever they want. That's not right. He said, you guys are puffed up about this and uh, have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I indeed, as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present him who has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit. Notice, this is not talking about one person just going off there annoyed with someone, so they're going to, you know, pass this judgment on them. He said, uh, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, now, now look at how this works again. This is another picture. We've seen a, this throughout the Bible, but how things work behind the scenes. Why do some people have their flesh destroyed? Well, this guy is because Satan was given access to destroy it. He was living in such a way where he obviously was not you know, repentant at all and wanting to do right. And they said, there's a time come. We had to turn him, we had to put him out. We had to turn him over to Satan and Satan was going to mess him up. So why would you do that? Why would you do that? So we wouldn't go to hell. 
Now, that's interesting there, isn't it? He said, so that his spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. In other words, if this guy continued down this path, he would probably, what I see is, he would eventually reject the Lord. He would continue down this path. He would turn, turn his back on the Lord. And we don't want that to happen. How many know if you were to be judged, it would be better to be judged here than there? <laughs> I mean, it wasn't good for him, but, but this guy was going the wrong way. And Satan got access. What is this? This is the hedge coming down. This is the hedge coming down. And so he was given access to this individual's life. Now, go over with me to the second chapter, or second book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter 2, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and this references this same event over here, and, and what, what transpired, let's begin reading over here in verse 5. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you, to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, is sufficient for such a man. So he said, it's been enough. It's been enough now. So that, on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him. What do you mean forgive? This guy's a this guy was doing some bad stuff. He said you ought to forgive and comfort him lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. He said I'm seeing if you're going to do this. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Look at verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So, listen, again we have Paul, who had much revelation, taught us about Satan's defeat, how he was stripped of his power. He's subject to the name of Jesus. We resist him, all this stuff. And still, in the context of working with people and people falling into various sins, he brings this up. Now listen, Satan's defeated? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's other teaching. He still has devices. We're not to be ignorant of them. He said we are not ignorant of how he operates. He is still trying to find a way to get in. Finding out, trying to find a way to get access. And so with this person, the time had come. He said, now forgive. And I noticed again and again and again in these verses is the word forgive or forgiven, forgiveness. What happens when a person does not extend this forgiveness when it's due? You've fallen for a device, a strategy of the enemy to not only harm the one who fell into the sin, but then to harm others for not extending that, that love and forgiveness to those people. Y'all got pretty quiet on that. Uh, now, in, in forgiving this one, he said, invite him back in, have, have mercy on him. This is not talking about some kind of sloppy grace that says all behavior is okay. All right, you want your mother-in-law, fine, we'll let it. No, 
No, that not okay, not acceptable. But it's also then unacceptable for us to not extend forgiveness when someone repents and does right. What do we do? We restore. Yeah, but what they did. I know, but what you did. But what I did. huh? We extend forgiveness. That's just the right thing to do. There's a time to forgive and restore. Is there ever a time to separate from people? Yeah, sometimes there is a time as well uh, when someone has to go. Nope, this is way the way you're going to be. This is the way you're going to do it. This is the way you're going to conduct yourself. And uh, no, that's not going to work. All right? And, and what happens? Well, ultimately, what we should all be interested in more than anything else is eternity. Where are people going to end up forever? Where are, how are my behaviors towards them going to contribute towards their eternal salvation? Now, Uh, find Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. There should be no grudges. There should be no, no bitterness. Nothing that we allow to remain. And if we do allow it to remain in us, we fall and pray. To the enemy. In Matthew 18, Jesus spoke concerning these matters uh, very directly and very graphically. Uh, verse 21, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Who would imagine? I mean, seven times? That's ridiculous. Certainly not seven. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So he's blowing this right out of the water. 70 times seven. Therefore, now listen, what's he talking about? Forgiveness. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like, what's he describing? Kingdom of heaven, not kingdom of earth. Kingdom of heaven, not Old Testament. He's not saying that Moses said, the law said. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. This is, how, this is how God's kingdom functions and operates. If you're saved, you're in that kingdom. You're a part of that kingdom already. We're going to end up on planet heaven. Thank you, Lord. Looking forward to it. But in the meantime, we're in the kingdom of God. Amen. So I'm praying for the kingdom to come. It's already in you. It is. If you've been born again, kingdom of God is within you. So this kingdom functions this way. kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, we sometimes have trouble converting Bible currency into today's currency, and there's some different opinions. And of course, you're talking about talents and measurements. If this were gold, uh, I calculated this, this might be about $15 billion today. Okay? Uh, again, that's not so important that we get that exactly right. But this is, a, this is a big sum. I think that's what we can get out of it. Big sum. Verse 25, but he was not able to pay. Uh, his master commanded that he, uh, excuse me, as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and that all, all that he had and that payment be made. And that was just part of their laws back in those days. If you couldn't pay your bill, 
you know, you didn't get things, you know, it doesn't work like today, let's say it this way. They could sell you. All right? It's bad news. This is a big deal. Verse 26. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, another currency thing could have been around $10,000, but here's the deal. Compare it to the 15 billion. Huge and nothing. All right? And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. Think about that attitude. Think about that heart. He was just released from a huge debt that he could never even imagine paying. It was so much beyond his, his ability to ever pay it back. And now he's got this guy at the, at, at the throat. Pay me. You owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And, uh, and he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Mm. Doesn't that sound horrible? Can you imagine this person? Anybody feel any strong feelings about this person right now? That's what it's, this is designed to do. This is designed to make you go, Oh, what a jerk. What a horrible person. So when his fellow servants saw what what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was very angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. And that's amazing that Jesus connected this with the Father and how he would treat people who are forgiven much and then do not extend that forgiveness towards others. This is supposed to wake us up concerning the serious nature of how God views this, that we have been forgiven, but you know how many people today have so much unforgiveness in their hearts towards others? And often they've legitimately been treated wrong. They've been harmed. They've been abused. They've been, they've been all kinds of things. But they carry this. And yet the Father has forgiven them. And this is, I find this interesting. It looks to me like the penalty's being reinstated. He was forgiven. But now it's getting put back on him. Yikes. You mean things can be reversed? Sure got quiet in here. Now, I understand this. In that since the cross, you can become a new creation in Christ. In fact, it's the only way to heaven. Right? 
you become a new creation in Christ. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. You don't undo that because of sin. I don't believe this is, this is teaching us that if a believer, a child of God, withholds forgiveness, then they're going to go to hell. Because our eternity is based on the finished work of the cross. But I, I do believe that this seriously impacts our day-to-day life and our relationship with God. It impacts us being able to receive His best. And I'm telling you, it opens the door to the enemy. I tell you what, the garage door is totally left open in your life if you are leaving these things undone, meaning not extending forgiveness and mercy towards people who have wronged you. And one of the things about that is individuals are praying. They're making request of the Father. Father, I ask you for this. And they're praying the Scriptures. And they're not seeing results. And by the way, I don't know what verse that is. Pray and not get results. Ask for something and God doesn't give it to you. I haven't found that verse. Yet that is pretty normal practice in a whole lot of Christians' lives. Pray, nothing happens. Honestly, there are a whole lot of believers that struggle with sickness and disease continually. I'm merciful towards anyone's struggle. I want to help you get out of it. But that's one of the reasons we're talking. I want to help people get the garage door closed. I want people driving off thinking, hey, everything's fine. And there's a party in your house (laughs) when you're away because you didn't lock up, man. And I'm telling you, this is one of the areas that keeps people from receiving God's best is they're leaving themselves wide open to attack. How are they doing so? They've been forgiven much, but they're not extending that forgiveness to, toward others. Hmm. It's one of the primary areas of life that we should check up on. And, you know, one of the, one of the verses we frequently will use, I love the verse, it's Mark eleven twenty four. When we talk about praying, what's, what's called in Scripture the prayer of faith. Remember Mark eleven twenty four says, Whatever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. I mean, it's straightforward, it's clear, it's abundance of revelation, and it works. But you know, Jesus didn't stop there because we have a period in our Bible right there. Because that was one verse. You know, Jesus didn't speak in chapter and verse. Jesus didn't say to his disciples, chapter 11. <laughs> He was just teaching. He was talking later. These things were put into chapter and verse so we could find the, the appropriate places. And, and, and it sure helps tremendously that we can have numbers. But the very next thing he said was verse 25. Mark eleven twenty-five, And he said, And when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. That your Father in heaven may also forgive, you your, forgive your trespasses. He, when did he say to do that? He said, When you're praying... In other words, when you're having this connection with God, make sure you're treating this connection properly. Well, what does that have to do with anything? Apparently it has everything to do with anything. This prayer works absolutely. It's all the time. It's 100%. It's an absolute guarantee that God will give you what you desire when you pray. If you believe, you receive it. But then Jesus said, by the way, by the way, when you do this, forgive. When you do, well, what if I ignore verse 25? Do you think that might affect verse 24? If I go to God, I'm ticked off at everyone, but Father, we're tight. <laughs> you know, 
I love the Lord, but it's the people I can't stand. <laughs> you know, it's like the, the old uh, illustration that we've used at different times um, in, in relating to parents and children. If I were to uh, come across your child, you know, in a hard place, if you're a parent, you, you can relate to this. If your child was hurting, they were in a bad place in life, and, uh, and I happened to come upon them, and I kicked them when they were down, and I just made it worse for them, and I was rude and unkind and uncaring. I wouldn't lend a hand at all. Uh, and then I met you later, and I was super nice. And I was friendly and kind, and then you found out how I treated your child, but I was really nice to you. I mean, just acted like your best friend. Do you like me? Of course not. Why? Because, I, because of how I treated your child. What if the opposite's the case? What if I came across your child when they were in a, a tough Situation and things were going bad for them, and I helped them when they were down. I lifted them up and put money in their hand and food in their mouth, and you know, gave them opportunity and encouraged them, and you know, just did whatever I could for them. And I've never met you. Do you like me? I mean, I've never even met you. I don't even. We've never even talked, but I did that for your child. How do you feel about me? This, we got We're already down the road a little ways, huh? We're about to become best friends. <laughs> I'm telling you, this is real in, in our walk with God. If we want to separate and say, I just love the Lord. I sing loud and strong and lift my hands and jump up and down. I just love the presence of God. Love the Word. I read the Word every day. You know, and then we treat His other children with disdain. Our relationship with God is not what we think it is. You know, how many times, I might be getting into people's business, but I, I, I do this with kindness. But I'm telling you, how many times have I seen over the years a husband or a wife, and they say, I'm spending all this time in the Word. I've been praying a lot, a lot, a lot. I've been, I've been doing all this, and my relationship with God is great. And then see how they treat their spouse. It's just ridiculous. I don't understand why I'm having so much trouble. I do. It's not because of an absence of being in the Word and prayer. It's just this relationship is a family. It's not just my relationship with Dad. It is my relationship with brother and sister. And that really makes a difference. I don't mean my salvation is contingent upon somebody else. We all access God alone one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, right? Uh, And so that's true. But if I treat one of God's other children in a wrong way, that's going to cause issues. Amen. Just like children, children growing up, if if siblings are fighting with each other, how many know the parents are not okay with that? Yeah. And so this is the heart of the Father that we just simply do what he did. We're to be imitators of God. We're to forgive. We're to extend love and mercy towards people when they have done wrong and even when they've done us wrong. That's when it's more difficult 
But when they've done us wrong, we still extend mercy. That's the heart of the Father. And I tell you, it clears the way. It clears all the hindrances. All of a sudden, your prayers are just taken off like a rocket. All of a sudden, that healing that you've been standing for and believing God, and man, it still hurts, and but not anymore. Why? You just dealt with that door that was open. The devil can no longer inflict you. He can no longer keep it on you because you kept it out through, through forgiveness. That is the love of God in action. Amen. Now, in, in closing, in conclusion, I, I would just say a couple things. Forgiving individuals is not the same as feeling forgiveness towards those individuals. Sometimes the more a person has been harmed, the more they've been hurt, uh, the more they struggle to do this. But a decision to forgive is not the same as a feeling to forgive. Do you know that you can, as we do in everything, by faith, let someone go? By faith, release them out of your heart and release those ill feelings and ill will and you wanted them to die and die a slow and painful death? And, and, right? And would have felt pleasure in that. I mean, that's the way the movies set us up. We always like it when the bad guy, you know, dies slow. Or is that just me? Sorry. Lord, help. Uh, But you have feelings towards someone who has done you wrong to, man, they need to pay. But listen, forgiveness is a decision we make by faith. And we say, Lord, I am no longer going to do this. And you take steps like praying for them. You have to bite your tongue. But you pray for them. Lord, bless them. Lord, help them. Lord, have mercy on them. Lord, they did this, but have mercy on them. I pray for them. Bless them. Lift them up. You You do all those steps. Why? Well, part of it is so it will be released from you. Because the feelings often are a trailing indicator of the decision. I decide today I'm not going to hold them to this any longer. I'm, I'm going to let this go. I'm going to forgive. And then the feelings say, no, you haven't. No, you haven't. <laughs> You're lying. You're lying. You have not forgiven anybody. huh? The decision is separate from the feelings. The feelings will eventually catch up to the decision if you'll stay there. You'll stay, and every time it comes, every time you think about it, you say, no, but I've let them go. No, but the Lord bless them. Lord help them. You keep praying. The feelings will eventually, and I'm not putting any time on it because I don't know your situation. They'll eventually come, but I'm saying they, they, don't, they don't matter. You can literally say, I've, I've forgiven. I no longer hold this in my heart towards them. And so Satan, take your hands off my life. And so devil, you take your hands off my kids. And so, devil, you take your hands off my finances in Jesus' name. I, I resist you. See, us not giving place to the devil is absolutely the command of authority. But it is putting ourselves in a position where we're not yielding to him on one hand and resisting him on the other. When he's trying to stir you up to be angry and bitter and hold a grudge, and then we're saying, Lord, I, we're saying, devil, I rebuke you for my finances. But no, you're not. You're locked arms with him over here. So you release that. So take your hands off my stuff. Take your hands off my stuff in Jesus' name. You know what he'll do? He'll flee from you. He'll run as if he's in terror. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So this is a real big deal. And so I just want to, you know, we could talk about it a long time. But I just want to pray right now. 
And I'm going to take a moment, and if, if there's any business you want to do, here you are. I mean, if there are any doors you want to close, any place you want to say, eh, I'm not going to give that place to him in my mind, in my heart, any longer. I'm not going to give place to the devil. Then why don't you do that now? As I pray, you pray. Turn things over to the Lord. For, offer forgiveness, release. Even ask forgiveness, you know, for, for holding people when you've been forgiven. Father in Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this message. Find our other messages on iTunes or visit our website at lcboise.com and follow us on social media, Life Church Boise. Thank you and have a blessed day. Thank you.